get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome, welcome everybody. Time for some TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. And follow along, subscribe on iTunes for free, of course. On iTunes there, the TSN1050.ca show page under the show section, you'll find it. And, of course, we'll tweet it out at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81. Nice program for you today. We'll lead it off with Travis Yost from TSN.ca in just a moment. Follow that up with some fantasy hockey talk from NHL.com James Harding. Then Sean Tierney from Hockey Graphs. And wrap it up with Ryan Stimson of The Athletic Buffalo. But let's get to him. Travis Yost. Live on the air. Travis, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing good. How you doing, Andy? I am doing well, sir. And let's let's begin with your latest on TSN.ca. Probably the most discussed topic on hockey analytics over the last couple of years. The Toronto Maple Leafs defense. Now, this week you took a detailed look at the time on ice distribution of the Leafs blue liners and noted some of the tinkering that Mike Babcock has been doing. So, based on all this info and the sample size we have at Toronto, what is the most effective layout of the Leafs' defensive core? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we knew this was going to be a, a focal point of discussion again this season. It, you know, even in the last two, three years when the Leafs really returned to competitiveness, they're, they're a forward-heavy team. You know, the blue line has always been an area of weakness. And, you know, in, in the NHL, in a hard-cap league, you're always going to have some area that's more, you know, talent-efficient, whether yeah. it's goaltending, forward, you know, scorers, attackers, or defensemen. Toronto with defensemen. And, uh, you know, I, I was really curious to see what my, Mike Babcock would do with this blue line in the first 20, 25 games of the season because, really, I think it would give us a pulse for, for what, how he interprets um, who his six best defenders are. So, not surprisingly, Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner have really been the one-two punch. You know, some games Gardner is the most used defender. Other games it's Morgan Riley. But pretty much every single game it's going to be one of those two. So that's not the surprising part. The, the really interesting piece is really what's happening in the second and third pairings. Of the last, I don't know, 10 or so games, we're really starting to see a bit more of a shift um, in favor of Travis Dermott, which I think is interesting. I, I know the Maple Leafs really want to have at least one puck mover on each of those defensive pairings, um, and Travis Dermott is a very, very talented puck mover. Uh, not, you know, I, I think there's some defensive areas of concern that, that kept him in the AHL, especially in part – he played 25 games in, uh, with the Marlies last year. So we, we kind of anticipated that it would be a, a slower progression um, as an NHL regular this year. But the, the, the team has really started to give him more minutes. Um, before the Anaheim game on Friday night, in three of the last six games, Travis Dermott had been used as a top-four defenseman, um, which, which I think is really interesting. And, and the question then becomes, well, who's losing those minutes, right? Because yeah. you know, it's a zero-sum game. If Travis, you know, if Riley and Gardner are playing a ton, and Travis Dermott is playing more lately, who's losing out? And really, the the two players that I that that Toronto is kind of shifting further down the lineup, especially at five on five, are Nikita Zaitsev and Igor Ajganov. Now, Ajganov is still going to get some decent uh, decent special teams minutes, and the same thing uh, the same thing with Zaitsev. But the the interesting piece here is, you know, you go back two two and a half years ago. The Leafs committed pretty big to Nikita Zaitsev, six-year, $27 million contract. Um, I, I don't know where they really stand with him. I mean, he's kind of like this second-pairing, third-pairing tweener, um, and he certainly looks like one of the guys that is going to be at risk of being displaced 
if Dermott or someone else really becomes a fixture in the top four. So, you know, it, all, said, uh, all said, 20 games or so in, uh, I think you're starting to see what, what, how Mike Babcock perceives his defense and what gives him the best chance of winning. And uh, a couple of the guys that we thought were going to be a big piece of this, you know, even just as recently as two years ago, are, are falling a little bit out of favor, at least relative to some other options uh, internally. Yeah, it'd be interesting to track the rest of the year as well. Uh, Travis, let's slide over to the Edmonton Oilers. Their GM, Peter Shirelli, continues to amaze us with his one-for-one trade magic. A couple of summers ago, Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Now this week, it's Ryan Strome being traded from the Oilers to the Rangers in exchange for Ryan Spooner. A couple of underwhelming guys who maybe need a change of scenery. Do you feel it's, it's more about that, a change of scenery, or should we make anything notable out of this deal? Uh, boy, I, I'm not sure there's that much to conclude from this trade. I, I, will, I will qualify one of your statements, though, which is, you know, we talked about a haul for Larson to death. Yeah. Um, the, this trade actually goes one step back. This is Jordan Everly for Ryan Strom, and then Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner, ergo Jordan Everly, whose contract does expire this year, and, you know, they, that was somewhat of a salary cap move. Uh, but Edmonton, all said and done, I mean, they're, they are a team that's contending now. Um, they moved off Jordan Everly, and what they have to show for right now is Ryan Spooner. That, that is mm. a substantial downgrade when you, when you consider um, where, those, where the trajectories of their careers have went in the last few years. Uh, Spooner, the, the, the thing about Spooner is I think he's marginally better offensively than Ryan Strom, um, and, and I think they can flex him up and down the lineup a little bit more. Um, whether it's playing with McDavid or actually playing down the middle of the lineup, maybe on a second or third line, so you know he can they can kind of intermix him, um, and I, I think he I think he is a little bit of an underrated scorer. I know he's only got a goal and an assist this year, um, very slow start to the season, but I, you know he's consistently shown that he's a thirty forty point guy um, in, in the NHL, and I I think I think he will marginally outproduce Ryan Strom. That said, you know Ryan Spooner has been kind of a disaster as a defensive forward for a couple of years now, and, and that's an area of concern because if he's not playing with Connor McDavid, which is very possible, uh, the Oilers tend to play an awful lot more in their defensive third. And <laughs> you, 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 the last thing you want is to put out another guy who's not going to be able to play a, a complete two-way game. And I think that's always been the criticism of Spooner. You know, he's, I think he's a, an agile skater. He's, he's got underrated hands. Um, he has finishing touch around the net, but you know, defensively, he, the, the, he he loses his area of coverage and his man of coverage more frequently than I think most people would like. And I think ultimately that's why you're seeing him be traded for Ryan Strom. But, uh, you know, my, my ultimate conclusion of this is really they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is now Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly out and Ryan Spooner and Adam Larson in. I mean, there, there is... There is no other way to carve that thing up. That that is that is just a gross mismanagement of assets. Um, and I, I think I mentioned this yesterday, but I, that that's going to be what's on the tombstone of this Edmonton Oilers <laughs> organization. And ultimately, it's just going to be a question of how long can Connor McDavid avoid that tombstone being planted? Because it's 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 hard to even come up with words for how good he is and how much better he is than everyone else. And he and he alone can erase a lot of these. Uh, miss, you know these management misfires, but man, I mean, they have not done a lot to help him or help their cause more generally in getting back to the playoffs. No, well, it's it's so frustrating when you have an elite of the elite talent really being wasted, right, Travis? Like you're you're, you're wasting this time 
in his career. It's it's uh, disappointing. We, we, we look at his scoring totals and we're like, man, he's the best player in the world. And the only thing I see is a guy who's doing this in spite of the talent around him, not, <laughs> you know, as a, because of it. And then, you know, it's, it, it's, frust- it's really frustrating to watch because if you think about it, just think about some of the names that have been moved in the last year or two years for all not that much. Um, you know, and you can go down the list of like top six wingers, for example, that have been traded whether it's Evander Kane or Mike Hoffman or, you know, high-end skaters who have great finishing ability. And you just think to yourself, you say, what would it look like if some of these guys got a run on McDavid's wing for 70 games? And, and he, I, I honestly truly believe the point gap between him and the next best player in the league, whoever it was that year, would be absolutely massive because that's how much, I, that's how better I think he is than everyone else in the league. But you cannot be a one-player, one-line, uh, you know, team in the in this NHL. I mean, this is what we see from the Oilers when they play tougher competition. Their depth gets exposed, and until they change that, um, you're going to have this team that consistently looks like a tweener. In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Let's get back to your work on TSN.ca this week. Nashville Predators have had a great start to the year, but in your recent article detailing their power play struggles, you started by saying, and I quote, the best team in the NHL is sitting in the Western Conference, and that's the Predators. So, Travis, why is Nashville the best team in the league with the likes of Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, and Toronto all making strong counterarguments right now? Uh, the, the, the argument, I think, in support of Nashville, and I think Tampa Bay has a very legitimate claim to being one. I, I think those two teams are clearly at the top of the hierarchy right now. I, I think that's very clear. Um, but I do give Nashville a slight edge. I think they're a marginally deeper team, and I, I, you just have to absolutely love their blue line. I mean, they truly go three pairings deep, and there's no area of weakness really on that roster. They're also getting goaltending now, and they have for about a year and a half which was a huge deviation from where it was just a couple of seasons ago. Um, the, the, the interesting th- thing, though, to watch with Nashville, for a team that is so loaded, um, especially on their blue line, and they, this is kind of what I was getting at this week, they really have a terrible power play. I mean, it is, it is unequivocally horrendous. And I think part of the issue, not all of it, but part of the issue with Nashville is it's a double-edged sword. So you have this unbelievable blue line, um, so many interchangeable options, so many guys who are great in both zones, so many scoring options on your back end, that when you roll out your power play in an era where everyone is going to four forward, one defenseman, or five forward, zero defenseman on power plays, knowing mathematically that those units tend to score more than a three forward, two defenseman setup, Nashville's in this weird spot because they have a, a lot of their talent is consolidated on the back end, so they've been a slower mover, relatively speaking, um, to adapt to the four-forward-one defenseman setup. That's number one. Number two, even when they have used four-forward-one defenseman or the t- a standard two-defenseman setup, their defensemen take a ton of shots on the power play, uh, more than any team in the league, I believe. I think they're neck-and-neck neck with Carolina on the power play, and guess what? Despite all of those shots, I think they're getting up to about 85 shot attempts just from the blue line on the power play this season. They have one scoring chance of those 85 shots. It is, it is remarkably <laughs> ineffective, and I, and I think this is part of a, you know, a give and take. Like All of this talent is the reason why they are so unbeatable at 5-on-5, five five, but the power play is a different game state, and if you're really funneling so much offense, through point shots from P.K. Subban or, or Roman Yossi or whoever it is, 
those are just less efficient, less productive shots, and we know that. And I think every coach in the league knows that. And so I think that's going to remain an area of focus for Peter Laviolette this year is how do we, how do we take our talent and our roster today and actually create a decent, not a great, a decent power play that can supplement how freaking good we are at five-on-five. Five. That's going to be the ultimate test. And honestly, as, as it stands right now, that'll be what makes or breaks Nashville in the playoffs. Real quick thought from you here, Travis. Nashville ranked the best in your mind. Who's second best in the West? I, second best in the West. So second best overall would be Tampa Bay. Um, second best in the West, it, I think it's Winnipeg, but I, I am still fully on the San Jose train. I, I don't. I don't see a lot of evidence that San Jose is a bad team at all, and I, I get that they haven't been off to a hot start this year by any means, um, but that, that division is pretty weak, and they are, they are still a very, very deep team. Um, and I, From the majority of games that I've seen them this year, uh, they have consistently outplayed their opponents and just haven't gotten a lot of puck luck earlier in the year. So I, w- I would say Winnipeg 2, San Jose 3, but uh, I think San Jose is chomping at that 2 spot, regardless of their record right now. Travis, great stuff as always, buddy. Let's do it again next week. All right, take care, Andy. All right, there he goes, Travis Yost on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Make sure you check out his great work on tsn.ca. Let's get to some NHL fantasy tips after the break with our guy from NHL.com, James Harding. Fantasy Talk next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Rolling along here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. On Twitter, get the show at TSN Analytics at AndyMCD1. We'll tweet out the show links from there. If you missed any of this episode or want to go back and listen to past guests, that's always a good idea. You can do that on iTunes. Subscribe and rate us there as well as on the TSN1050.ca show page. It's all there for you. But let's get to some NHL Fantasy Hockey Talk, and it's brought to you by Three Brewers Micro Brewery Restaurants. Book your office holiday today, folks. The holidays are just about here. We're already over the halfway point in November. So you can book your office holiday, family celebrations, whatever. Just go out with friends. Just enjoy yourself. They have locations across the GTA. Three Brewers, great beer, great food, great times. And now another great James Harding from NHL.com, their tremendous fantasy writer. James, how are you, buddy? I am doing better than my fantasy roster right now, which is being ravaged by the injury bug, Andy. <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to help out, despite your troubles, we're going to help out our listeners right now in... Stock up. Stock down. And that flaming crash, is uh, is that the sound your, your fantasy team is making, James? Is that uh, just, just, just a little bit. It's what <laughs> happens when you're in the league when you have four guys who are IR eligible and only two IR spots. Oh, boy. That'll get you. Well, you know what? Let's start with stock up. Give me a couple stock up guys. Yeah, first guy I'm going to for the, uh, for the Islanders this week, Brock Nelson. Uh, he's really actually thriving this season in an expanded role in their top six as a center with the departure of uh, that guy named Jan Tavares going, mm. going someplace up there. I, I, I can't remember what city he went to. <laughs> Starts with a T, I think, yeah. I, I, th- I think so, yeah. Um, Nelson right now, back-to-back multi-point games. Uh, he's a four-game point, uh, four point streak, uh, nine goals, six assists, and 37 shots on goal on the season, 13 points in his past 12 games. So really starting to heat up. 
Uh, he has been skating mostly on a line with Josh Bailey and Anders Lee, but with the injuries uh, and the shakeup to the lineup right now, the Islanders have. He's skating on a line with Jordan Everly and Tom Kunakel. Uh, but expect him at some point when Andrew Ladd and Casey Zeke has returned from their injuries, probably to see the switch of Matt Barzell back onto a line with Everly and Nelson back with Lee and Bailey. But right now, uh, Brock Nelson, huge stock up for the New York Islanders, uh, off to a really, really great start so far this year. And then my second stock up, uh, Matt Duchesne from the Ottawa Senators, two assists uh, against the Red Wings on Thursday, uh, nine points and 16 shots on goal in his past five games, uh, three multi-point games in that span. Skating on line right now with Nickel Bodker and uh, Drake Batherson, and he's on the first power play unit there with Colin White, uh, Mark Stone, Bobby Ryan, and Thomas Shabbat. So uh, I really like where Matt Duchesne is right now. Uh, top, He's tied for 20th in the league in scoring right now uh, with 21 points, six goals, and 15 assists on the season. So having a very, very solid start uh, in a contract year for him uh, and Nelson in a contract year as well. So that might be a little bit of the motivation for either of them right now playing as well as they have. Nelson especially known as a slow starter after October. He uh, normally sees a little bit of drop-off. So I, I like where both of their games are trending right now. So those are two stock ups. Give me a couple stock downs. Who are we avoiding this weekend? Yeah, first guy I'm avoiding is Wayne Simmons from the Flyers. Uh, Four-game pointless streak right now, only three points in his past 11 games. Uh, he has 10 points on the season and 45 shots on goal through 19 games so far. Skating on the third line, though, so he's been dropped down out of the top six in the Flyers lineup. Uh, he is skating with Jordan Wheel and a returning James Van Riemsdyk from injury, so I could see maybe him and Van Riemsdyk starting to get something going, but until either one of them does, I'm not really trusting anything that they're doing. The Flyers have been very up and down this season, and Simmons, after averaging 54 points per season over his past five seasons, only on pace for 43 points this year. So that is a big drop-off, and that's got me concerned about his long-term fantasy aspects uh, for the remainder of the season if he doesn't get back up into that top six for the Flyers. And then my second is Drew Doughty from the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, and, and this team right now is going through just an, an absolute uh, reshaping. Yeah, they're in free fall. Yeah. They're in free fall right now. It, it's hard to trust anybody. We've talked about Kopitar. We've talked about uh, Kovalchuk not performing. Uh, they just traded away Tatter Pearson. So, you know, this team is definitely trying to uh, reestablish itself. And Dowdy right now is pointless in five straight. Uh, it's his 11th season, and only twice in his first 10 seasons has he ever finished with a minus rating. Uh, this season he's a minus nine right now. So um, if, if you're in a league with a plus minus, he's not helping you much there. And uh, 35 shots on goal in 18 games, not really getting it done. You know, he's always one of the top uh, defensemen in shots on goal. Uh, he's averaged 200 shots on goal over his past four seasons and only on pace for 159 this year. So 
Uh, I'm staying away from both Simmons and Dowdy there. Yeah, and, and you get into the trouble sometimes. People, of course, going name recognition and just going with names instead of diving in. So great tips, of course. Uh, we're in conversation with James Harding, fantasy writer for NHL.com on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. So let's say, James, somebody is in your predicament of their season-long fantasy hockey and they're, they're struggling or whatever. You can still play DFS daily in the DraftKings contest. Give me your DraftKings sleeper or value play for this weekend's games. Yeah, and I'm heading to the, the Pittsburgh Penguins-Ottawa Senators matchup tonight, uh, and the player who I just mentioned was Tanner Pearson. Um, and then the news just a few minutes ago that Derek Brassard is actually going to be returning tonight too, so wow. I would keep an eye on him as well. Um, but I, I like Pearson here. Huge boost in fantasy value with the trade from the Kings to the Penguins. He's under $4,000 right now and skating on a line with Evgeny Malkin and Patrick Hornquist. Um, As long as he stays in the top six, even after Crosby returns, um, if he stays with Malkin there, I really think that he has a chance to to take off and get back to the 40-point potential that he's flashed a couple of times in his career out in Los Angeles. Uh, He's a two-time 40-point scorer. He had 24 goals in in 2016-17. I think that he could still hit the 15-20 to goal mark this year if he maintains his exposure to either Malkin or somehow finds his way up to a line with Sidney Crosby. But uh, I I like Tanner Pearson, and with Crosby out and Broussard returning tonight, Broussard could get the chance to center that line with Gensel and Kessel Hmm. uh, if, if they move him there. It's Riley Shane right now. But I think Broussard offers much more of an offensive upside there. So um, I, I can I can say that if I would monitor that and if Broussard goes there, he's under $4,500 in DFS. So he would be another sleeper I would look at. There you go, folks. A couple of tips for your DraftKings NHL lineups tonight. James, thank you so much as always, buddy. Talk next week. Absolutely. See you All right. James Harding on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey does a great job writing about fantasy hockey on NHL.com. After the break, we'll be joined by Hockey Graphs writer Sean Tierney. He also does some fine work for The Athletic. That is next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Get me on Twitter at AndyMC81, Instagram at AndyMCSports. You can find and rate the show on iTunes. Subscribe to us there, as well as on the TSN 1050.ca show page. Let's bring in now Mr. Sean Tierney. Shawnee, how's it going, buddy? Not too bad, Andy. How you doing? I'm doing well. Listen, uh, let's start with your great Twitter feed, of course, at charting hockey a must follow for anybody uh, there uh, people can find all sorts of great nhl statistics on a daily basis the chart i want to look at today is goals saved above average per 60 minutes first off for those who may not know can you just explain how that stat works and how it may be different from something like goals against average that were available for goalies to sort of rank and see who's playing well the problem with those statistics was that they didn't take into account what the team around the goalie was doing or the context the goalie was playing in. So, you know, if a team's giving up 10 high-danger shots per night and a goalie's giving up, you know, a couple extra goals because of it, that's context you want to know when you're evaluating goalies. So with goals saved above average, uh, the Corsica stat, 
what we look at is what is the danger level of the shot that the goalie is facing, and then how are they performing relative to what we would expect an average NHL goalie to do in that situation. You end up with a statistic that shows that someone like John Gibson is saving more goals than we would expect based on what Anaheim gives up in front of him, or someone like Jake Allen is surrendering way more goals than we would expect, again, based on the kind of quality of shots that St. Louis allows against him. Okay, and now the, the bottom four goalies on this chart as of yesterday were some pretty uh, consequential starting goalies here. Let's work up from the bottom. Yeah, Jake Allen, Martin Jones, Mike Smith, Marc-Andre Fleury. Which of these goalies are you most surprised ranks among the worst at this point in the season? And which of the four would you place your money on to be the most reliable netminder moving forward? Yeah, it's a funny group of really notable names yeah. that to the bottom of this. So each of them has given up between about 7 to 10 goals more than what an average goalie would do in their spot. Not a league leader, an average goalie. Say maybe somebody like a Cam Talbot has been about average this year. And when you get into that level at this point in the season, seven to ten goals more given up than what an average goalie would do, you know, you're looking at some pretty bad performances from yeah. some pretty recognizable names. Um, for me, I think maybe the most surprising uh, for me is Flurry. Um, he went on an unbelievable run last year, and, and no one expected him at his age to keep up, you know, the kind of performance we saw in the playoffs last year. But the real surprising part there is that Vegas has actually been really solid under the hood so far this season. They're getting about 2.5 expected goals per 60 at even strength, and they're only giving up about two, which is one of the better rates in the league. Uh, Fleury really started off slow, and he's recovered as the season's gone on. So his numbers look a little worse right now for the season total than they've been as we've been rolling forward. I expect to see Fleury, especially if Vegas continues to be as tight as they've been, Fleury should be one of that group to recover the most. Uh, the two that don't surprise me at all are Mike Smith and Jake Allen. Both of these goalies have sort of shown in the past that they're going to underperform the expected goals against them, that maybe they're just not as good as their name brand suggests that they are. St. Louis is a pretty reliable defensive group. They limit quality against. Calgary under Peters has been really good at driving play the other way. They're one of the best shot differential teams in the NHL, and yet Allen and Smith are both you know, around eight, nine goals below what an average goalie would do there. I don't see much sign of hope for either of them to bounce back. They are what they look like they are. So, yeah, for me, Fleury is the one that's going to come back to the pack and look better going forward. Smith and Allen are probably here for the long haul. Let's wrap up the goaltending questions with an injury report. We have Andre Vasilevsky expected to miss four to six weeks with a broken foot. So how tough of a hole is that going to be for the Lightning to fill? And do you think the Maple Leafs could take advantage of this industry and, or this injury and really start building on that Atlantic Division lead? 100%. This is a big boon for the Leafs and for the Bruins in that division. Vasilevsky has been consistently above average. And Tampa Bay is a really, really tight team. It's kind of surprising. They don't generate a ton of expected goals themselves. Part of that is where they shoot from. A guy like Stamkos doesn't mind being from a greater distance because he's such a good shooter. But Tampa Bay basically doesn't allow, allow almost anything against. They have one of the lowest rates of expected goals against in the league. That helps Vasilevsky look good. But even when you look at you know goal saved above average, which adjusts for that context, he's still one of the better goalies in the game. Um, so his loss is huge for them. And when you look at the backup, they're going to bring in Louis Domingue to take over uh, the job for him for the next few weeks. And he's basically shown that he's not an NHL-caliber goalie at all. He's consistently below average in GSAA. 
Um, and he's not the kind of person you can rely on for four to six weeks. So, you know, for Toronto, and then I would say for the Bruins as well, yeah. there's a chance to sort of make some uh, hay while the sun shines for them in the division. And by the time Tampa gets their starter back, uh, they're not going to be in the same place that they are. Now, again, Tampa, they're a responsible defensive team. They're going to give uh, their backup a chance to, you know, survive. But this is a below-league average starter, probably a replacement starter, an AHL goalie. So they're going to feel this. Uh, burn badly, I think, over the next few weeks. And if you're a Leafs fan, it's great news. Yeah, for over a month at least. Jeez. In conversation with Sean Tierney from Hockey Graphs from The Athletic on Twitter at Charting Hockey. Now, another one of your great charts that helps us visualize which teams may be underperforming and those that are doing better than perhaps they should be at this point. One of the most overperforming teams to date is the New York Islanders. What do you think's allowed them to find this much success under new head coach Barry Trotz? Right, and so this is one I kind of got mixed up in uh, on Twitter yesterday, and, um, you know, it's a discussion I'm really interested in right now. The Islanders are shooting 12% right now at even strength. Um, and it might not sound like it's, you know, that wild, but it really, really is. So in the past decade, the highest shooting percentage we've seen for a full season was the Washington Capitals in 2010. They managed to finish the season about 10.7%. And the Islanders are over 12% right now. There's just no way that they stay that far out from average over the course of a season because they've got that inflation going on with their shooting percentage, and that can happen in a small sample like sure. we have. They're getting a couple extra goals, uh, you know, sort of every couple of games, and that makes a big difference in a league where you're looking at 3-2 games a lot of the time. If we look under the hood for them, if we look at their expected goals, they're a negative differential team. That means they're giving up uh, more than they generate. They get about 1.9 expected goals per game, and they give up almost 2.5. It's not a recipe for success. It's not a sustainable way to win. If we look at the full total, they're probably about 15% uh, boosted by the way that they've uh, received some shooting luck so far. They've got a goals for percentage of about 61%. And we expect that to be about 15% lower based on the kind of shots they take. So there's two ways you can look at it. Either the Islanders have solved shooting. They're <laughs> the team that gets hit. And they're, they're the ones. Up, but <laughs> they're the ones. Or, you know, the, the real reasonable thing to expect is this team is going to fall back a couple percentage points in their shooting. Even if they fall back only to, you know, 10 or, or 9, which would still be above average, you're costing your team a couple of goals per game, and that adds up really quick. For me, I see this team coming back to the pack a little bit, but I will add that their expected goal differential is on the upward trend. They are trending to just about break even right now. So, you know, if the shooting percentage does even out the way we would expect it to, there is a chance they're going to come above water a little bit and maybe, you know, sort of help themselves out there a bit. They're still not going to lead the league in goals for percentage by right. the end of the season. And that shooting percentage is definitely coming back to earth as we go. Yeah, I'd, I'm with you. I think I'd bet more on the Islanders coming back down to earth than them figuring out scoring overall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm with exactly. You I'm with you there. Uh, Sean, let's just talk about the Arizona Coyotes here. And for It seems like you can count on a, a few certainties in life, and one of them is that the Arizona Coyotes would be in last place in the Pacific Division. But now you've got a couple perennial contenders traditionally joining them and kind of making it interesting for who's going to bottom out, and that's the L.A. Kings and the Anaheim Ducks. Do you think the Coyotes are more likely to work themselves out of the basement due to actual team improvement, 
or that maybe the Kings and Ducks are worse? Yeah, we're looking at the Kings and the Ducks kind of in a full collapse mode right now. Yeah. So that gives the Coyotes some hope. You know, L.A. looks like, especially with the trade this week, that maybe they've signaled they get it, they're too old, and maybe it's time to start to retool or even rebuild. And Anaheim's just been in the gutter all season, you know, giving up just tons of quality. And John Gibson is finally kind of deflating a little bit under all the shots that he's faced. So, you know, these are two teams that are getting out of the way and making some room for Arizona to move up. At the beginning of the season, we were seeing a really positive expected goal differential for them. They were in the top 10 in the league for a little bit. But this is really deflated for Arizona going forward, too. They're actually below 50% right now in expected uh, goals for percentage, which means they're giving up more than they generate. On the season, they're at about 2.3 goals for, and they're giving up about 2.5. So, you know, around break even, give or take at even strength. Anti Ranta can make a difference because he's in the top five in GSAA rate right now um, when he's healthy. So he can make that difference and maybe um, bridge a little bit of the gap for Arizona and help them move up to the top of that division. But Arizona is going to have to do something about the kind of shot quality they're giving up because they're losing that edge. They've been on a downward trend for a couple of weeks. And, I mean, you can count on those shorthanded goals a little bit when you're holding on to Mike Grabner in your uh, roster. But they've had some luck kind of keep them a little bit afloat, and they're going to have to change their share of quality if they want to take advantage of the fact that, you know, L.A. and uh, Anaheim aren't really a threat in that division this this season. So there's room to move up, but they're going to have to turn their play around a little bit too. Yeah, no doubt. Great stuff as always, Sean. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Andy. All right, there he goes. Sean Tierney from Hockey Graphs and The Athletic. A must-follow on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. For those graphs and charts, folks, I'm telling you, if you're not following at Charting Hockey, you got to go do it. We'll take the break, come back to wrap up the show next From the Athletic Buffalo, Ryan Stimson joins me. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. You can follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. If you missed any of the show, don't worry. You can just go to iTunes. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes or the TSN 1050.ca show page. Click on the show tab. Scroll down. You'll see the link. Boom. You can go there. And, of course, we'll send it out on Twitter. Let's welcome in now from the Athletic Buffalo, Mr. Ryan Stimson back to the show. Ryan, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Andy, I'm doing well. How's everybody doing today? Doing good, my friend. And hey, Buffalo Sabres, how, how about this? They're not, like, the worst. That's good. Uh, they finally have some talent to be excited about. with uh, Jack Eichel, of course, Darlene, Reinhardt, among others. And through 19 games this season, how would you grade the Sabres' play? And could you say that they've graduated from being a team that is a perennial draft lottery favorite? Yeah, it, it is certainly exciting in this area not to... You know, be uh, be worried after every game or just yeah. certainly. Um, and I think the goal for the Sabres this season was to simply, you know, be in games, be competitive, um, and, you know, just do their best to play interesting hockey, you know, towards the latter half of the season. And I think what the numbers are showing is that they're, you know, five-on-five, five, you know, Corsi differential. They're just behind the Maple Leafs. They're about 19th in the league. They're, you know, doing really good generating shot volume on the power play. They're you know, got some work to do on the penalty kill. But I think when you look at all that, 
you see kind of like an average team right now from a lot of metrics. And I think most Sabres fans would take average right now considering where they've been, and you, you hope that uh, you know this continues to build throughout the season. Now, when it comes to number one overall picks in the NHL draft, they usually become the odds-on favorite to win the Calder Trophy the following year as the league's top rookie. So you look at Rasmus Dahlin is in a bit of a different position given that he is a defenseman, so he doesn't rack up the point totals or have the same flash that, let's say, a forward would. But, Ryan, can you detail what Dahlin has meant to the Sabres this season? And in The Athletic, you recently took a look at whether or not D-men take longer to develop than forwards. Yeah, well, I think, you know, as far as, you know, what you've seen from, from Darlene this this season is, you know, everything. I mean, he's been as advertised. You know, when you, you know, I recently broke down, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, detailed event metrics for players uh, in an article at The Athletic yesterday. And, I mean, Darlene is, you know, on the back end, he provides the best, uh, you know, getting out of his zone with possession, getting into the zone with possession. He moves the puck and generates a lot of shots through his passing more than anyone on the back end. Uh, and, you know, he, he has been as advertised. Obviously, you know, we're still early in the season, so we'll see how he maintains that level of production. But he's a player that, uh, you know, I think, you know, has proven uh, that he at least has earned an opportunity to play more minutes, right? He's not getting the top minutes in Buffalo. They're still married to this idea of Rasmus Sersalayan, Marco Scandello, and other players getting ahead of him. And while, uh, you know, it's not always a guarantee that when a player excels, in you know limited minutes that it's going to translate when they move up you know a couple more minutes in the lineup, but I think he's at least earned that opportunity. And you know to tie into your follow up question, you know when looking at aging curves and development of defensemen and forwards, you see that a lot according to you know like single number metrics like wins above replacement, goals above replacement. You see that a lot of players peak much younger in their careers. And but when you look at ice time which is, you know, the idea that maybe coaches have decided that this player has earned this ice time and is this good, it's a little later after that peak, especially with defensemen, right? Forwards are a little better at, at uh, allotting that ice time. And so, you know, it's harder to evaluate defensemen because they don't get a lot of those point totals. And, you know, point totals also can be misleading. So right. he's, doing, he's doing everything, you know, through each zone that would lead you to believe that he is a significant driver of play when he's on the ice, and he's definitely warranted you know, getting some more minutes on the team here. In conversation with Ryan Stimson from The Athletic Buffalo on Twitter at RK underscore Stimp. Now, Ryan, I don't know if it's because I'm here in Toronto, there's, there's never-ending leave coverage, but it sure feels like Austin Matthews has passed Jack Eichel by when it comes to the conversation. Who's the next closest to being as good as Connor McDavid? How would you assess Eichel's time in Buffalo so far and do you think he is going to be capable of being someone who can consistently put up 30-goal seasons? Well, the, the scoring piece of it, I, I think, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you've seen that. You know, I mean, he's been largely a point-of-game player. And I know he's missed some time with injuries, but he's been an effective scorer when he's on the ice because he just he dominates and puts up a lot of shot volume and, and shot assists. But it, it's some of the other pieces around that, right? Like, when you look at uh, his defensive impact, isn't really that great. Right, so you need him to, to to be more effective in that area of the ice if he wants to be considered among some of the elite two-way centers in the league, right? And and it's and a lot of elite players, you know, they do give some back defensively, but because when you're on there, they're always going to outscore the opposition. But Eichel will need to score a little bit more to do that. And you know, part of the criticism against him, you know, is because the team, you know, has been less talented than others his entire career. So. You know, maybe we're starting to see that, okay, if he gets some more talent around him, 
maybe those other phases of the game will, will shape up. But uh, he's not in that conversation yet. I think it, you know putting up point totals can be misleading when we evaluate who truly are the elite players in the league. Right. But, um, you know, he certainly, you know, has that piece down, the scoring piece down. But, you know, even then there are areas where he could improve his game. If you look at, you know, his shot distance, you know, compared to other players like a Sidney Crosby, you know, or even like his teammate Jeff Skinner. Like he just, he doesn't consistently get in those positions where you'd like to see some of the elite players score. You mentioned Austin Matthews. So um, even scoring-wise, there's definitely room for improvement for him. Now, Ryan, some exciting stuff here. I understand you're getting ready to release a book in the new future. Can you tell us a bit about it and where people can can get some info? Yeah, so it's basically built uh, around the idea of, you know, we have a lot of this data and analysis that myself and several other people have done in the community on, you know, evaluating, you know, different strategies within the game, right? So it's, you know, the values of getting out of the zone with possession, getting in the zone with possession, like how much that matters in terms of your goal output, like forechecking, uh, you know, power play strategies. And it's really a way to, you know, kind of uh, you know, use it for, for coaching purposes. Okay, we know that we have these metrics that tell us something's important, but if we want to take it to the next level, how do we translate that to on-ice performance? Like, so what are, okay, we score more goals and shooting percentage rises off of passes off controlled entries. There's a lot of research on that, but what's, how do we kind of structure that with gameplay, right? So what are certain like neutral zone plays we run to run that are going to increase our chances of creating those situations for the team? And so it's a whole book based on uh, tactical analysis and tactical plans uh, that's basically informed by years of data analysis by myself in the community. So it's a, uh, it's it's uh, in the final stages of revision reviews, and I'm hoping to get it out before the end of the month here. Nice. Um, yeah, I'll have a lot of you know. Link. I'm just going to publish it through Amazon, so people can you know go on there and get a hold of it. But uh, but I'm very excited. Well, see, a perfect time for Christmas, right? For a hockey analytics exactly. crew. Yeah, just in time for Christmas. Exactly. That's good. Well, you know what? Keep us in the loop uh, when the official release date is, and maybe a couple weeks before we'll have you back on so you can plug it because it sounds like a, a, something that's perfect for our audience. That'll be great, and I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And let's get one more for you here. Back to the Buffalo Sabres. Um, we know so much has to go right for, for Buffalo in that in how, how tight this playoff race could be. But do you think there's a real shot they could end their seven-year playoff drought this season? I, I mean, I think there always is. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how, uh, you know, there's that. Uh, I'm going to be writing about this coming up in The Athletic. But, you know, historically, we look at teams in a playoff spot at Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, which is just around the corner from. And, you know, traditionally that's been a good indicator of whether you're going to hold that spot and make the playoffs. Or for the Sabres to do that, you know, everyone has to stay healthy, right? I mean, this team does not have the depth to, to, to withstand a prolonged injury to, like a Jeff Skinner, a Sam Reinhardt, a Jack Eichel, or even a Rasmus Dali. In addition to that, Carter Hutton still has to be, you know, has to continue playing well. He's, he's had very good moments early this season. And they have to look at their division and basically say, okay, we're probably going to concede the top three spots to Tampa, Toronto, and Boston in some yeah. order, right? So then they need to look at, okay, we need to finish ahead of, and we need to win our head-to-head matchups against Ottawa, Montreal, and Detroit, right? They, they beat Montreal twice. They split some games with Ottawa. They haven't played Detroit yet. Uh, and then, you know, Florida is kind of, you know, for that last wild card spot, most likely, uh, you know, it's who you're going to be your competitive, uh, who your direct competition is. So they need to kind of look at taking care of their business in their division uh, as far as what they can control, right? You can't really control injuries, you know, goal right. are, you know, up and down, hot and cold. 
But that's what they need to do, I think. If they can do that, that might be their best roadmap to getting in the wild card spot. Well, it'd be pretty exciting if the Sabres are in the, con- in the conversation. That'd be a nice change. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much, buddy. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, Danny. Anytime. There he goes, Ryan Stimson of The Athletic Buffalo on Twitter at RK underscore Stimp. That'll do it for another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.